0: It really wasn't that long ago when recruiting discovered consumer marketing. I can remember very clearly explaining the concept of a recruiting funnel to a room full of talent acquisition leaders, showing how the thinking around the consumer funnel can be applied to recruiting. Now, since then, recruiting has absolutely embraced all things consumer marketing, from CRMs to programmatic. If consumers doing it, it must be great, right? Well, maybe not. In this, the seventh episode of The Brand Plan, Marcus and I ask the question Where can consumer marketing really enhance our recruiting and employer brand goals, and where does it get in the way?
1: You're listening to The Brand Plan, the podcast about the intersection of talent, brand, and strategy, with your hosts, Marcus Boddy of 33 and James Ellis of Employer Brand Labs.
2: Hey, Marcus. Hey James, how's it going? It's going good.
0: It's going good. Keeping busy. I, 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 I suspect you're pretty busy too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It seems to be the kind of mid-year period when people suddenly start going, hey, what are we going to achieve next year? And starting to think about objectives for, for the next calendar year already. It yeah. seems a long way off.
0: I, I feel like the conversations I'm having are people going, oh, the year's halfway
2: over and I didn't actually get the stuff done I planned to. Uh, well, <laughs> time's wasting. Absolutely. I was saying, actually, I really wanted to do a, a project in kind of 2019 of everyone's 2020 vision document. And let's see how many people were actually anywhere close to it. I suspect it would have been a very small number, but, you know. Oh,
0: yeah. Not even close. Because yeah, no one saw what was about to hit them. No one. Nope. <laughs> so this week I want to talk about... We've touched on this before, and but it's such an interesting kind of rich topic. And I, I think it's very easy to check a box. It's easy to say it and walk away from it. I think we need to dive into the deep meaning of this idea that consumer branding and recruitment marketing employer branding aren't just different. They're like capital D different. They have so... Different approach, their outcomes are different, their metrics are different, the materials, the work, all of it is so different. And it's it's very easy to say, oh yeah, they're a little different. And I get to to roll out my favorite line that you know, employer branding is all about recruiting. In fact, it's all about quality, not quantity, whereas all of consumer marketing is about quantity. But let's get into the nitty-gritty of why. Let's get beyond the the poster and the motivational line. Let's get into why is it. Why doesn't it work? I mean, you'd yeah. think consumer marketing has all the cool tools, it has all the cool thinking, right? They get paid all the big bucks. We should just do what they do, right? And now is when you're gonna tell me how insane that is.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, it's easy to jump into what the inferiority complex and go, oh, we, we're just doing what marketing do, but with less money. And, yeah. and, and there's a bit of truth to that, of course, is that typically we do have a smaller budget, especially for those of you who are working for kind of consumer brands, you've definitely got a smaller amount of money. But you are actually trying to do something different as well and I think you shouldn't just get fixated on the fact of oh we've got less money than them and the person in charge of employer brand is not as important as the person in charge of brand actually you are trying to achieve fundamentally different things as well and it it can get messy because your audiences overlap but what you're trying to achieve with those audiences are is just so so different that some things will translate well and some things don't translate well and it's partly a problem of our own making. We stole all their jargon. And so now we think we ought to steal all of their tools and all of their approaches true. and all of their diagrams and, and things as well. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And it just requires, sometimes you just need to stop and take a step back and go, yeah, but is that helping? Is that actually doing the thing that I need to do? Or am I just taking it? Yeah.
0: I yeah. I, I liken it to sometimes. Now, I, to me, employer branders are of two kind of sources right their origin stories are either i'm a recruiter and i I wasn't a good recruiter and i found this space where i could do a different kind of recruiting thinking yeah. which is great and there are people who are marketers who come over thinking it's a different kind of marketing and i like that now for me yeah. you're right the marketers bring over all of the baggage that comes from the four p's or the five p's or the 17 p however many p's there are anymore <laughs> i don't know it's been a while I since i they're up school. to 23
2: now it's i i you
0: That's know it. good for them they're good for that at some point they have to run out but anyway yeah. uh, but you look at recruiters who, especially in organizations where they don't have an established employer brand function, they just designate a recruiter. say so you're now in charge of the employer brand. It's a bit of a cargo cult, right? They look at from the outside what marketer does and marketing does and how they do it and say, oh, it's supposed to be like that. And they just do it without the thinking behind it. Then that's okay because the marketing side does it because that's how they've been trained. It's this, It's yes. different sins almost
2: but resulting in the same kind of problems absolutely but i think i think there's there's a few things that we kind of we've already alluded to when we chatted about this before but i think we could go deeper into about the objectives are fundamentally different and that changes all sorts of things but also for you know for most of you watching it depends which country you're in or those of you listening the law is different actually your legal responsibilities in terms of diversity and inclusion and not discriminating are different yeah. to when you're doing uh, consumer marketing where you don't have those kind of constraints but also you know closely attached to that are the moral dimensions of what you are doing um, are also very very different compared to when you're selling a product where you that's not as big an issue who you're selling it to isn't a moral question yeah. whereas who you're selling jobs to is a moral question and you have bigger responsibilities there and I think that's where you have to be a little bit careful about the approaches you're going to bring doesn't mean you can't use those approaches but does mean you might need to change them a bit you might need to rethink them a bit you might need to intervene and just retool them to do what you need them to do
0: so let's get specific because i think it's very easy to talk in this kind of abstract kind of terms and everybody's probably already sick of hearing this and have already found another you know interesting podcast but presuming they have not and hopefully they have not let's get a little deeper let's start with the goals now obviously yes. consumer marketing the goal is to create a lead create a sale and employer brand obviously he says knowing that tone of voice that says Haha, maybe there's some wiggle room here that obviously our job is to get an applicant and get the hire. yeah
2: what are the goals really so I think there's there's an interesting thing that happens when when you look at what's good and what what everyone's definition of oh well that was a good campaign. I've, I've been before I've been a judge at like employer branding awards and recruitment, advertising awards, and you'll get a submission that says this campaign was really successful. It achieved three times the applicants of the last campaign. And you go, yeah, but was that good? Was that a good thing? It depends who those applicants are, whether that's a good thing or not. I think this is the biggest fundamental difference. When you look at, you know, the difference between consumer advertising and, and recruitment advertising is you can't tell the difference between a good click and a bad click. Whereas in mm-hmm. consumer advertising, there's no such thing as a bad click. A, a click is a click is a click is good. And, you know, the person who clicks by it doesn't matter who they are. Whereas that's not the case in recruitment advertising. And, you you know, a campaign that gets one good click is better than a campaign that gets 10 bad clicks. Yeah. But you can't tell the difference between those to way down the line. And that, that totally changes all sorts of approaches. All sorts of things you might do don't work if you don't know whether a click is good or not.
0: Mm-hmm. Yet to sales, to marketing, every dollar is a good dollar. It doesn't, right? Yes, the answer is yes, I will take that sale. To recruiting, to hiring, every applicant is not the same. And, you know, taking a step further, every click is not the same. And you're talking about, you know, whether you're selling chocolate bars or jet engines, it doesn't matter if it's a long tail process or short tail process. Ultimately, if the check clears, the answer is yes. In hiring even if you're hiring entry-level people, even if you're hiring 20 entry-level people and you're taking kind of a flyer on a few of them, it's yep. still about you have a limited quantity and you're trying to maximize what you're bringing in. And to me, that the challenge I've always had with it is everybody wants a metric, everybody wants a KPI, everybody wants a thing they can point to and say, we did that, therefore we're doing a great job. And employer branding... Honestly, in fact, as I listen to other professional branders, consumer branders, even they struggle with this idea, is that most of the quote-unquote branding and marketing metrics are are geared towards direct marketing. Did it push them over the line? Did it take a browser and convert them into a buyer? And that's great, but when you... Converting a browser into an applicant is not the same value, and they're, they're, it's very hard to say what is a metric that we care about, especially since there are no hard and fast rules about what is a quality applicant, which to me, the second someone figures that out, we're golden, right? That's, that answers and it creates a foundation of is this good or not upon which we can build so much good work.
2: Absolutely. And I guess the game for this is going to be harder for some of you than than for others. If you're doing mass hiring, if you're hiring for the military or high turnover roles in retail or hospitality, then, okay, quantity starts to become a good thing. And, okay, we can we can move more towards those consumer approaches because actually now we need quantity and we need an ongoing quantity and it becomes a bit more similar. But if you're not doing that kind of hiring, if you're doing something, I don't know, in professional services where it's all about quality and actually we want fewer, better people, actually the number of applications can almost be a bad thing. Like if Mm -hmm. there's kind of a there's going to be a Goldilocks point of the right amount of applications. Fewer than that is bad because you haven't got enough to shortlist, but more than that is bad because you've now got too many people to process and too many people to get through. Mm -hmm. And and with an awful lot of clients, I've done work which is actually more about trying to bring that number down and how do we help people who are not appropriate self-select out. Well, okay that's that's a really sensible thing to do but it now means we can't start measuring applications as as a good metric yeah. because we're actively trying to lower that we're going to do some interventions some self-assessment things on their website that that are designed to lower that number so it's bonkers if we're still using that as our metric um so i think this is what you kind of you need to have a look at your own kind of hiring objectives and go how similar are my objectives to a marketeer's objectives if you are playing the volume game, okay, you might be able to take rather more of their approaches. If you're not playing the volume game, an awful lot of the stuff that they do is predicated on the idea of driving volumes. And if you're not doing that, it's not gonna be very useful to you. Yeah, and and
0: I love it when recruiting teams invariably get in a bind, right? There's always some team suddenly has to double in size and that's always a good thing. Congratulations, that's wonderful. But the recruiter says, we didn't get enough applicants. The go-to is never, we need to rewrite the job posting so we're more specific about who we actually want. The answer is always cast a wider net. Take off four bullets and put ad spend out so we can get more people to click the button. And you're like, that actually doesn't solve your problem. Thing no. is, is that when we, there's a fear-based response to we didn't get – we're not filling the pipeline like we wanted. Quick, make it bigger. Just stuff it like a Christmas goose with more people who may not be qualified.
2: Yeah, and I guess this is where, you know, it depends who's listening to this podcast, where your responsibilities lie. Some of you can't see down that funnel. Some of mm-hmm. you are only tasked with throwing stuff into the top of the funnel. And it's very, very difficult for you to see what happens after that point. Whereas others of you are much more connected with whoever is handling that response. At smaller organizations, you might be the person doing that as well. OK, you now have a much better visibility of is the kind of stuff I'm throwing in at the top of this of the right type of people that I want. And. Um, as well as are they then are those people then making it through the process? Okay, I'm optimizing this. I am narrowing my funnel, which means I'm finding better people to put in the top of it at the, at the, in the first place. Yeah. Um, but an awful lot of organisations, those things are very very disjointed, and they're you know they're not necessarily in the same department. The teams mm-hmm. doing those things, in which case it becomes very difficult to do anything other than throw more in the top of the hopper and see what comes throughout the other end.
0: Yeah, and in a lot of ways, that's my one of my core arguments is to. Why I caution people from saying, "Oh, employer brand should always be in marketing." Yes and no. I mean, there's there's a, there's a case to be made in either side, and that's our other grenade, right? You know, that's the the conversation that starts a fight. Without any three employer branders, where should employer brand live? But yeah, yeah. if you're disconnected from the recruiters, who are the front line of, am I getting good applicants or not? And it's completely anecdotal. It's completely kind of qualitative. You know, there's no good metric for it. But if the recruiter starts to say things like, yeah, we got more applicants, but there's no better applicants, that's when you know you're yeah. having a problem. And if you're living in marketing, that
2: message may take a long time to get to you so you can make an adjustment. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think it's the most important single difference between what we do and what marketing do Um, I mean I think there are other sort of differences as well that influence the way the whole process works and the whole way it behaves and I sometimes you know talk to clients about most of the time a recruitment marketing recruitment advertising thing starts with a problem it starts Mm -hmm. with oh someone's quit oh no we need to hire some people It, it starts in a very negative place of we are trying to fix a problem whereas consumer marketing sometimes starts there, but usually starts in a, yay, we've got a new product, we've got a new service. It's like that there's a kind of excitement and positivity about the activity that is about to take place. Yay, totally we have fair. something to tell the world. Or you know, yes, we have a you know, 100,000 units of this to sell, but it starts in kind of quite a positive place. Whereas an awful lot of recruitment starts with a crisis. It starts with someone's gone, we need a new team to do X. Something has broken, we need to hire a bunch of people to come and fix it. And it starts in quite a negative place. And, and, you know, but but it's easy in that situation to panic, right? Because it started in a negative place. You can charge into it and kind of rush in with, you know, the best of intentions, but kind of end up doing something which in retrospect, you sit down and go, "Oh, we shouldn't have done that, should we? But because it started in this kind of point of crisis, particularly for the hiring manager, it's a point of crisis for them. Very often someone's just quit my team. Oh, no, not always. Sometimes it's, yay, I've won a project and I need to staff up and they might be quite positive about that but very often it isn't that way. And it starts in this this negative place.
0: So before we get into like stealing ideas and stealing technology and stealing websites and career sites and all that good stuff. Yeah. Diagnose or pretend to diagnose, how would a TA leader, chief people officer, you call it, be able to, what's the thing they should point to and say, this is where the problem is. Oh, oh, I have this problem, I've now focused I've over-indexed on getting applicants and not indexed on hires, quality hires. Yeah. How would someone know they're having this problem?
2: So I think very often when I've worked with clients, they do kind of instinctively know the problem. It's just that no one's asking them the right question. I I sometimes, you know, I think I've mentioned this before on the the podcast, I use the magic wand question. And sometimes I'll say to clients, right, if we waved a magic wand and we could fix something, what would it be? Mm -hmm. Would it be more applications? Would it be fewer, better applications? Would it be a different type of hire? Would it be, you know. And that's a, a useful thing to ask yourself to figure out where is the problem, because you usually kind of instinctively know. I think you can also look at who's busy in your organisation to understand where the problems are. Right. So if hiring managers are incredibly busy because they're having to hire repeatedly, then you know there's something wrong with you know who you're hiring or how you're treating them after they join because you've got a high turnover thing there. So you can kind of look at if TA and hiring managers are constantly busy filling this bucket, there's a problem there either with the bucket or with what you're putting into it versus, you know, I I think, That's probably kind of the key thing to to look at is where is all of our time being spent? Is it being spent trying to find candidates or is it being spent dealing with candidates who aren't good enough? Or is it being spent with line managers who are furious that that all the people we sent them on their shortlist aren't shortlistable? And, you know, where are you spending your time? What are your headaches as a team? You know, and if you have your dashboard of greens and reds, where are all the reds? Where do they keep cropping up? And then that will probably give you a clue of what's going wrong.
0: Yeah. If you think of most directors of of, of hiring, directors of recruiting, whatever, the head of TA, most of them have been recruiters for 10 to 15 years, which means they started 2005, right? Employer branding was a thing more in the UK and the US. Like most of the people I know who in that space, employer branding is still relatively new and talent strategy at that level is very, very new. And so what I'm noticing, and actually what I'm noticing in my LinkedIn chats when I kind of ask about this stuff, is that there's still this feeling that good heads of recruiting are just recruiters with a different hat and they (laughs) haven't learned this other approach to them. It's, I got to fill that rec. So I guess I'm going to fill it with as many applicants as possible. It's the bigger, the haystack, the more needles. And even though that's not how needles get made, but that's their approach. So how do you, how do you counsel Ahead of TA, who knows there's something going on. There's too much friction in the machine. It, 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 but they can't put their finger on it. Like, how do you kind of get them to see this idea that look, it, it's it's not a panacea. It's not a you know a a, a a silver bullet in any way, shape, or form. But if your challenge is you're doing all this work and you're yeah. not generating the output of quality hires on a regular almost predictable level i know predictable is a fuzzy is tough word to kind of get to in recruiting but how do you kind of get to that with a recruiter a head of recruiting who's in that spot
2: i mean some of it is about you know where where is the problem that keeps recurring and won't go away but sometimes you know you can come at it with with some hard numbers i mean i i had a i remember so this is probably going back about 10 years ago i was working with a, a really big engineering recruiter in the uk and they said oh we're not getting enough applications into our engineering recruitment program And i said okay how many applicants are you getting into it at the moment and they needed civil and structural engineers and they said we're getting about uh, I think it was about one and a half thousand and I said right there are only about two and (laughs) a half thousand people in the UK do that degree so you're already getting most of them right with the best in the world whatever we do you can't do a lot better than you're doing now so we need to look at this really hard and go are you filtering out the wrong ones you know are you simply looking for people who don't exist Mm -hmm. or or, you know do you need to redefine the job to change who's who's going in or do you need to accept literally aren't enough people out there to do your jobs and and do something different and and I was a bit suspicious because I knew that at the end of this they were only going to hire about 25 of them so I was like well how on earth are you getting rid of this many people with two ones in engineering from you know some quite good universities and this is a regulated degree in the UK so you can't just set up a university and do that degree it's got to be authored by the chartered institutes that is relevant to that and uh, it transpired that you know the first stage of their screening process was to chuck out everyone who made more than five spelling and grammar errors oh and i said right okay so that's where the problem was in this process the problem was not in attraction the problem was not in branding the problem was you had a selection criteria that made absolutely no sense oh, why have you got that in your selection criteria oh because that's what the agency could screen for the agency don't have any chartered engineers. <laughs> but they've got people who can spell and do grammar. So they, they were screening on what was available, oh. not on what was, and I said, you know, I was quite pleased with this line. I said, look, you want someone who knows what a semiconductor is, not a semicolon. And, and this, this is, thank you very much. I was pleased with that one at the time. But you should be, you should be. This, this, is, this was at the heart of what was going wrong. Is actually their, their attraction process was brilliant. Which I was quite pleased with because we were running it, but you know it was there literally wasn't anyone else we were going to get into that. I so said we, yeah. we we have frankly maxed out what is possible without going and hunting talent overseas. But seriously, how is that not enough for you? Because that is many many multiples of who you actually need to hire, and you know there is no way that you should be kind of being that selective about who you're hiring. You need to get real about what your screen. Yeah. I think particularly that can, that can happen in early talent programs, right? Yeah. You, you have a screening criteria that's hung around there. And no one can remember who put it in the process or why. That Uh, vestigial legacy
0: stuff that's just sitting there. You're like, no one can kill it because no one can, can ask the person who made it,
2: is it okay to kill this? And it just sits and hangs around. Genuinely. And so it's it's always my first thing when someone says we've got a talent shortage, have you? Right. Let's take a look at who you're rejecting and are we sure? That all of those should have been rejected because that, that's the first thing to fix before you start throwing more stuff into that funnel is to go are we really sure about the criteria on which we're rejecting people yeah because you know it's the law of diminishing returns isn't it you know that you know if it costs so much money to put a thousand people in funnel it's going to cost even more to put two thousand in it's going to put even more to put three thousand in because you've already got all the easy ones you've yeah. got the easiest lowest hanging fruit so the the wider you have to cast your net the more money it's going to cost you the more difficult the places you're going to have to go and look in
0: yeah have you heard the joke about there's a guy it's midnight he's on his hands and knees under a street light and his friend walks past and said what are you doing buddy and the guy says i lost my car keys he says oh you lost him here on the street light he goes no i lost him over there but the light's better here yeah. like, like that <laughs> is so it like to me that's like like the you want to laugh till you cry kind of jokes about yeah. recruiting because there's so much about it is we did it because it was easy to measure we did it because that's where the candidates were. we didn't know they were our candidates like they're doing the things that are easy to track and deal with even though when asked they know this is not optimal in any way shape or form
1: have you ever walked through an art museum and asked yourself how come this bunch of squiggles is worth millions or how come this georgia O'Keeffe painting is so magnetic these artists had the same paint the same brushes and the same canvases as everyone else so why are these paintings so compelling it's easy to say that these artists were more creative than others mostly because creativity is misunderstood so what is the root of creativity Stay tuned to find out.
2: And, and, you know, herein lies the difficulty of, you know, recruitment marketing versus consumer marketing. Is consumer marketing, you can just go where that streetlight is. And you can go, if there's anything under that streetlight, that'll do. Whereas we can't do that. And in particular, those of you who have any kind of objective to increase the diversity in your organisation, the people you need to attract are not the ones who want to apply to you the most. Mm-hmm. Because the ones who want to apply to you the most are going to be the ones who are the most similar to who you're already getting right now. Soon as you say, we want more women, or we want people from more diverse backgrounds, or we want people with different socioeconomic backgrounds, or you know, some people got some really specific targets out there, that's when you're going to have to go and look in places where... You know, it, it, you're going to get an increase in your cost per hire. You're going to get a reduction in the number of click-throughs. You're going to get, actually, all of your metrics are going to go down if you're doing this job well. Yes. An awful lot of those things that you're used to measuring, the sign that you're getting it right is actually that an awful lot of these things we tend to think of as good are actually going to get worse. Your yep. cost per hire is going to get worse. Good, that means you're doing the difficult hiring. You're not taking the people most predisposed to you. That,
0: that, that makes me realize that another way of explaining the power of employer brand is that the stronger the brand is, the more the people you already want to hire are under that streetlight. They've already yeah. gravitated towards you because you offer something they care about. Whereas right yeah. now, it's a roughly equal distribution of people and you're just picking that spotlight and saying, okay, how do I pick the needles in that particular haystack? And I know I'm mis- mixing like three metaphors now. I'm like, it's all matrix. It's like the inception. It's it's We've got it's, a haystack
2: under a streetlight. Yeah.
0: I'm trying to work that one out. That's, yeah, <laughs> it's all inception. It's all metaphor inception. But that's the thing about employer brand says, look, if you, you can draw those people to a place where it's not about you have to go... Th- find them on a retail one-to-one level it's that you are drawing right. them closer so that when you do want to
2: reach out it's a much shorter path to converting them exactly exactly and it is it is a much longer play game than a lot of consumer advertising where it's like yeah. i have a thing to sell and i want to sell it in quite a short time frame i want to sell it this year yeah you know probably within the next few months and as soon as i'm doing anything digital i want to sell it today that's the kind of time frame horizon you're looking at and employee branding is not going to work on that kind of horizon. It's going to work on a much longer thing of I want to predispose these people to join me some point in the next five years. And it's going to be a much slower tail for some of them. Some of them it won't be and it will be that quick journey and brilliant. But, you know, that tends to be at the recruitment marketing end of things is the quick return. Employer okay. branding is a longer play game. But that brings more people into your orbit so that when you do need them, when you do have a job for them, when they are ready to look for a new job, you're in a much better position than you were in. And that's so different from so much of consumer marketing.
0: So let's dive into the the nitty gritty. So I can think of two major areas I think we could totally beat up with a stick, and that is websites and personas. Is there anything you'd want to add to that list of places in which we get the mix of consumer marketing versus employer branding wrong?
2: I would widen websites out to sort of digital journeys and okay. the whole digital user journey. And then we can get a bit into the knotty area of programmatic as well. Oh, that's all problem, yes, yes. Yeah, Love but it. let's connect that, let's do that and websites together. But should, should we start, which one do you wanna do first? Let's do personas, let's do it. I mean, I know you and I have
0: kind of- Buckle up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 for, for those of you who don't get to hear our conversations before we hit the record button, which I'm guessing is more than the two of us, um, We've been waiting for this one. we we we've we've we're prepped. So I'm gonna just going to hand
2: the baton to you and say, "Get us running." Welcome to my TED talk. And so this is, this is genuinely a pet topic of mine. I I presented about this yesterday, a, a diversity event that we a series that we run at 33 called Unboxed, where we talk about you know things that we think are important in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, and, and I did a talk about what I think is wrong with consumer personas, and, and it's basically that. Consumer personas are built to sell product. And so it is about defining the people most likely to buy your product and then optimising things to kind of move them along to the next stage of the journey. So if pe- it, it is absolutely fine if you're a perfume company to go, right, we are going to target our perfume towards Asian American women aged between 35 and 50 who live in the Northeast. And that's absolutely fine for you to do that. If the same perfume company did that with their employer brand, that would be wrong morally, that would be dangerous legally, that would restrict the pool of talent they had, it'd be really, really dangerous. And so I cringe whenever I see anybody using an employer brand persona, if it has a name, I'm gonna ask you why you've done that. Because as soon as you give it a name, you've given it a gender, you've given it probably an ethnicity, you've given it a social class, you've given it all sorts of things it didn't need to have. And likewise, if if your persona has a hobby, that hobby is going to imply how posh that person is, how wealthy they are, what kind of background they come from. If If there's a genuinely good reason why someone needs that hobby to do the job, fine. But if there isn't, I'm going to question why you've done that. And the problem is, as soon as you start pulling out those things from personas, you start going, OK, well, we won't give it a gender and we won't give it a name and we won't say what age it is and we won't say what hobbies it has. By the time you finish doing that, you have a persona that doesn't say anything at all. No. It just says, is a human being, can breathe, able to, you know, uh, has minimal brain function. And you're not going to have anything that you can actually use to plan to do anything. And I think these personas are really dangerous and I have seen some really good people do bad things because they went down a persona route and they went, oh, our persona says that, you know, we should advertise in this place. And I go, right, the place you have chosen to advertise is a golf club and that's full of men. Did you want to hire men? And they went, oh no, but our persona played golf. And I was like, yeah, but you've just accidentally targeted it towards wealthier men. Don't do that. And, and, you know, unless there's a really good business reason why this person needs to be able to play golf, there is no good reason to have narrowed it to that. And, and actually, you know, the the research that said this is the most popular hobby amongst that group is probably not wrong, but that's exactly why you shouldn't be advertising there yeah. because you are going to do horrible things to di- the, the diversity of your organisation because you are going after the most sort of populist group. Yeah. So I think you, there are situations where you can use personas. Personas are very useful if you define them by what someone wants or what they're trying to do. That is then a useful persona. So yep. the classic one is you know, actually where an awful lot of very good, useful persona stuff happens is, is when you're designing a website and you go, right, there is a persona of the person who is coming to do this, a persona of the person who's coming to do that, a persona of this type of job seeker, a persona of that type of job seeker. It's fine. Don't give them names. Don't give them ages. Don't give them any of that kind of stuff. But the, the thing that they want from you. And likewise, we're doing some work with the client at the moment where we have defined a bunch of personas, but we've defined them by how they feel about the organization in question. Yes. So there is a persona of the person who already wants to work for us. What are we going to do for them? There is a persona of the person who already wants to work for us, but doesn't think they can. What are we going to do for them? There's the persona of the person who would be brilliant here, but doesn't know that they could work here. Right. And and so we've defined these personas by what is this person's attitudes towards and knowledge of our clients. And then we can come up with a content plan that deals with that attitude and that behavior, and you know, for that first person, the people who already want to work here and are all going to apply, whatever we do, the answer, to what we need to do is really very little, whatever yeah. we do, we could build a wall and they'll still apply. These are the, these are the people who are, oh, and that's probably still going to be a significant part of their applications. And, and some of you out there have got audiences like that, where whatever you did, they are going to apply to you. Yes. You need to know that they're there, but don't waste too much time thinking about them because they are going to apply to you, whatever, you know, if you're Goldman Sachs, you could do no marketing at all next year and you get a bunch of applications from certain types of people because you know that they exist. There are people who, who will, will apply to you, whatever you do. They were 10 you,
0: years old and they were going, yeah. that's the company I want to work for. They have been waiting for the day they graduated college. You could run ads
2: you. that say, please don't apply and, and they would still apply. Right. And th- there's a bunch of people like that. So I think you can do personas that are non-discriminatory and that are helpful and that actually help you to do something in employ- in, in employer branding and recruitment advertising. Yeah. But as soon as it's got a name, I'm going to ask you why. So and I'm going to judge you by your answer. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that last part, especially. And this is a good time to say, if
0: you have commentary about this, go to thebrandplan.show. There is a button with a microphone on it, and you can tell us how you agree or disagree. We'd love to exactly. hear from you. We, we might actually play it, just so you know. Uh, but go to thebrandplan.show to leave us some feedback. Now I'm going to take your personas. They, I 100% agree. Cosine across the board. I'm going to take That's it me. another direction. So I sure. was in a I was in a I was in a conference, uh, a workshopy kind of situation, and they said, Oh, we ended up making like eight or ten tables of 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 employer brander and recruitment marketing people, and they were all given the same task. You need to hire or attract to hire uh, more female product project managers. Okay. It's a valid question. It's a valid concern. You want to up your demographics. There's a thing you're trying to achieve. Excellent. So it's not what you're describing in terms of accidentally attracting a certain demographic. You're actually targeting a demographic. Now, what happened was, and this is true at like every single of the eight or 10 tables was, everybody had different budgets and everybody had different kind of limitations and constraints about how they would think about this. And then we did the readout and every single one of them said, well, we know that women who are good project managers, are probably between the ages of 30 and 45. And I'm like, hmm, do we now? Do we? Do we now? Really? Okay. Okay. Just okay. But they all kind of found a similar kind of demographic spot. How do we reach them? We should use, and it was either ads in magazines or content and magazines. And I went, "Congratulations, you have just now found or built a caricature of a person who only exists in a stereotype of your mind." This, whether you spent ten dollars or ten million dollars, this was a waste of money. And that is where I have problems with personas: is they end up being stereotypes they end up being revealing your own stereotypes about how talk to this audience if you're trying to talk to if you're a white dude like i don't know maybe you and i and you're trying to talk to a black or urban or youthful audience the hell yeah. do i know about that audience i know stereotypes and and that's just an admission of understanding that is not
2: going to be useful in targeting that audience to get them to move completely but i mean back to that point okay so even just taking that 35 to 45 year old thing so um what's the channel which I use to target people aged between 35 and 45? What's that magazine that is only read by people between 35 and 45 well, or that website, you know, you know the, the version of LinkedIn that's only available to people uh, aged between 35 and 45 yeah. Right, it doesn't exist. Right. What you need is people who feel a dif- a particular way and think a different way. And yes, some of them will be 35 to 45. And, and that bit of your stereotype is, is, you know, there will be some people who do fit your stereotype, but I bet you there are a ton of people out there who don't fit your stereotype. Yes. And if you, if you, as soon as you start testifying, your stuff you're accidentally excluding people, and and even if you do your sort of female stereotype, so okay, you're doing a good thing, you're trying to improve diversity, yeah. But did you make that persona in your mind? Was that persona African American, or was that persona Asian American, or was that persona a first generation immigrant, or was that persona this, or was that you cannot possibly tell me? And, and were they were they disabled, or did they have an invisible disability? And mm-hmm. there'll be something you didn't think of. where you have accidentally discriminated and as soon as you start putting a person together you will accidentally fall into stereotypes however hard you try you will accidentally do it and you miss something and and i will be able to find a way that you have accidentally discriminated every single time i've I've kind of been through one of these whereas if you start instead from what what is the mindset that i want and actually that can be someone of any age and any gender and any ethnicity and any religion and, and actually, that's the thing that I'm, I want is someone who's got this attitude. Then you, you avoid falling into that trap. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in, in the world of consumer, it is fine. It's absolutely fine for me to target my products to women aged between 35 and 45. There is yeah. nothing morally or legally wrong with that. There's, it, the it, it, it to that. It's a
0: it's akin to the jobs to be done framework of how do you decide how to reach somebody? Because ultimately. Yeah. Um, no one's hanging out in your job boards for fun. They're doing it to solve yeah. a problem. That is to find a job or to learn more about yeah, a company. Yeah. And I think your point about the client who said, okay, we're in the funnel, and that's really what that was. You know, they want us, they, they know us, and they want us. They know us, they don't know they can have us. They don't know about us yet. That's, that's funnel thinking, but yes. approach from a, what is the thing they need to know at this stage in the
2: game that is going to make Completely. them say, oh, that's interesting. I'm moving to the next phase. And you might find there are some different personas you want to define for different parts of your organization depending on how interesting your organization is to those personas that's a very long sentence let me explain what i meant by it so if you're a law firm there are some personas you can make for lawyers that are these are the people who work for our competitors they are interested in anything we do because they work for our competitors they will mm-hmm. read stuff that we create Blah blah blah. whereas for business services say marketing you're not interesting enough to a marketing person that they're going to follow you for ages they might take a job with you if you've got one open when they're looking for a marketing job. Yes. But they're never going to follow you. They're never going to behave that way. And you can kind of fairly quickly and rationally work out, right, in these kind of job families, we've got these kinds of personas that we can think about, these kinds of attitudes towards us. Whereas in these job families, some of those don't exist. In these job families, it's actually a simpler game. It's we're only playing this game. We're only trying to deal with this kind of attitude towards us. And those are useful. I think the other kind of persona that can be useful as well is to think of personas over time so there's the there's the persona of someone when they are looking for a job mm-hmm. and making that first application there is the persona of someone who applied to you a couple of months ago and you've just called them back to interview and they now have another designer oh they've shortlisted me I need to come back to this company and find out more information and prep for yes. that interview And that's a, you know, certainly when you move into kind of doing website planning, you need to think about those time based personas. Where are they in their journey towards you? Because it completely changes what they want from you. It completely changes how much they will read about you. If I'm applying to a job with you, I'm not watching a half an hour video on your business strategy. If I'm through to the final round interview with you, I might watch a half an hour video about your strategy. It completely changes what I am prepared to consume about you. And therefore, what you should produce for me and what content you want. Well, look, but, yeah, we've I moved think... in. We've moved into digital uh, marketing.
0: Yeah. Look at that. So so seamless. It's we didn't even it script was, that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So aside from thinking about in terms of funnel, what are some other key places? And I've got a couple in my mind. Uh, what are some key places on the digital internet side that we can say, look, you're thinking around how to talk to candidates is being overly informed by what your consumer marketing has done and you're not approaching the challenge as a candidate would, like as a candidate would want you to approach that challenge.
1: What makes one artist more creative is their focus on saying something meaningful, something true that we all instinctively feel but never saw. Artists start with an insight. When you ask better questions and look deeper, you create better insight. And it's insight that leads to more creative thinking, the kind that moves people. If you'd like to learn more about an employer brand agency that knows how to use insight to produce creative work that truly moves people, check out the award-winning agency,
2: 33. Do, Do you want to start with one and then I'll follow up? I'll go with
0: one, yeah. The first one I would say is, and I, I almost, I'll almost i start this way. I'm guilty with saying this and I, I believe this thing, but I think it gets misconstrued because of the terminology. I've said many times, every one of your job postings should be like a landing page now when i say landing page to a consumer marketer i am saying it's a really long page it's got a series of pieces of information of persuasive marketing there's testimonials yeah. there's social proof there's uh, a deal in the middle of it and every single screen or so there's a button that says act now and the yeah, the, yeah. The, the purpose of that landing page is to squeeze you to the point where you have no other options but saying fine i'll buy the thing that yeah, is yeah. not what i mean on a, on a job posting. What I mean is that take the same amount of information it it requires to make a decision. Hey, where's the office? Hey, what's the culture like? Hey, show me pictures. Hey, show me anything. Like all that stuff around the job should be in and around the job posting. If I look at a job post and I go, where, where I, I don't recognize this, this, this address. Where is this? Is it near a train line? Is it in my neighbor? Where is this thing? And I have to go away and figure it out. I'm never coming back. So it has to be kind of baked into a spot not so much that you can force people to apply but more to say this is all the information the relevant information you need to make a
2: a decision even if that decision is something simple as apply or don't apply definitely so i've done this exercise for clients before where i've i've screenshotted actually me looking for a job that they offer in a location where they offer it, and showing them look, this is what you're really gonna do. First, I'm gonna fire up Indeed, and I'm gonna find all the jobs that fit my criteria. So, you know, project manager that pays $60,000, whatever. 4,000 results come back. Yeah, and I'm gonna open up the first 20, and I'm gonna start going, no, 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 yes, no, 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 yes, no. And I'm I'm gonna incredibly fast make that decision. And yes, there might be a brilliant killer bit of information thrown on your website that's two minutes into the employer brand video. Never going to see it. Never going to look at it. You you are trying to make it through. I'm doing a screening process on you first. Yes, yes. Unless it's an incredibly niche job area where you are one of the only employers. There there are exceptions if you're a very, very unique employer where you, you can get away with playing this game badly. But anyone who actively needs a job right now, either because they're unemployed or because they've just had that moment when they've decided to quit their current employer. They didn't get the pay rise. They had a horrible meeting with their boss. Right, I'm yep. look at a job. We've all been there at some point in our career. Yeah, right. and they're going to fire open a bunch of things. They're going to make decisions very, very fast about if you are the right one for them. And they're not going to spend an hour doing it. They're going to spend about 40 seconds tops making that decision about you. If you don't put the reasons in that very first thing they see, you're not going to make it through. They're never even going to get to your career site. But even then, like if you think about where they come through, they want everything in one place there too.
0: Yeah, when I was working in agency side and, and I had a staff of people who were building content for companies, I had to teach them that ultimately, yes, it's 100% true. You have to give them enough information you have to put at the top. But I think of it slightly differently. I think of it, this, let's, let's think of an email. The subject yeah. line's purpose is to get you to click and open the subject line yeah. and start to read the first paragraph. The job of the first paragraph is to get you excited to read the second paragraph. Exactly. The job of the second paragraph is to, so you don't have to say, I'm gonna use all my ammunition in the headline and then I got no, nothing nice. to go. It is give me just enough to go, huh, that's interesting. Click, open. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's revealing. And it kind of you feed that out. You could keep a killer line all the way at the bottom so Completely. long as
2: you've led them to it in a way that's compelling. And you you can kind of think about, you know, making your information very bite-sized at first and then as they are biting giving them the bigger version of it yes so if you've got a great selling point about variety of work that selling point needs to be in text in the first thing that I see we've got brilliant variety of work come to our website and we'll show you some examples when I click through to your website that's when you can now hit me with a richer piece of content about the variety of work because I'm primed for it I am now ready to read that thing I I've done an action that now means I am more predisposed to read slightly more of that whereas if you gave me the essay at the first time we spoke no no no, that's too much and it's you want to give them like the little appetizer taster menu of what you have to say quickly then if they bite to that then you can start telling them a richer story but even then People are not going to go and read your entire career website to figure out whether they should work for you. The only person who is ever going to read your entire career website is me when you become my client. I will read the whole thing, and I'm the only person who will have read the whole (laughs) website ever. but we, we know or, or, the or, or the legal team who's them. reviewing it before yeah. they put yeah. it. Out That's <laughs> the only other person who's going to look at it. Even then, they've split the job up. That's too big a job for one person. So like no one has read the whole career website except me. Um, uh, and uh, but this is this is the reality. And so, you know, we've got a lot of data that shows, you know, candidates just bypass all the stuff on your careers website and they go straight to the job listing and that's mm-hmm. where they're making the decision. And you can do some clever stuff. We, you know, we've got some clever bits of kit that allow you to throw in stuff into the job and, and make the sell there. But that is where people are gonna make these decisions. There are exceptions. There, are, If you're doing like a graduate program, they're going to make this decision a little bit slower. Yep. Yes, you can give them slightly more information. They will make slightly more consideration that they do behave ever so slightly differently because they've got a bit of time and they're not trying to get a job. Now they're thinking about where they might work this time next year. So they are a bit more patient, but even they've got a finite appetite for this stuff. And you've got to think about, you know, how do I make the first thing someone sees really exciting and intriguing and short? And then how do I then, if someone liked that, how do I feed them more of it? Yeah. And, 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 And ironically,
0: That is how consumer marketing thinks. And that is something we should be stealing from consumer marketing. Get to the dang point. Tell me something that makes me want to read more, to learn more. You're not – the challenge – That the opposite of that is when HR kind of steps in and says, okay – We have to legally say these 12 things at the beginning. You're like, you've now created a hurdle that no one wants to overcome. You're done, you're toast. So take the lesson from recruiting, or from consumer marketing, say, give them something they have to know that compels them and provides the momentum to force them over that obstacle, right? If you have to read that stuff, give them a good reason
2: to get through it. But I think one of the big differences with the consumer marketing thing though is in that digital journey. So if you were a, a clothing website, and you've spent some money driving me to your clothing website, you want me to look at all of it. Likewise, if you're a car manufacturer and you've spent, even if you've attracted me with this model, the CX model, when you get to your website you want me to look at the cx model and the dx model and the super and the rest of it you want me to browse your whole website
0: yes for a a lot for a lot of reasons for a lot of different reasons
2: anchoring of price understanding of features education there's a lot of reasons exactly whereas whereas your job seeker is not going to do that if i'm interested in the project manager job in akron ohio that's the only bit of your website that i'm interested in i don't care that you've got another project manager job in fresno because I'm not in Fresno, I'm in Akron. I am only interested in the thing that I came to yes, see you 100%. about, probably. There are going to be a couple of exceptions and somebody who goes, will go, oh, what about, yeah, there will be the odd exception where you've got people who are a bit more mobile and or might be interested in more than one job. Yeah, But most people are. Most people are only interested in one product that you have to sell. It's a particular job that they it's are suited for. It's the only one they can apply for. It's the only one worth applying for it's the only one they get through for because then you know the salaries and the locations and things are going to constrain them so they don't want to browse your site and actually you don't want them to browse your site too much they'll get lost you want to keep them near the thing that they can buy you don't want them to deviate off and go and look look at jobs that they can't possibly apply for because they're in the wrong country or they're in the wrong division or they don't have the qualifications for that one so that's really different in the digital journey is that Consumer marketing wants to get me to the website, to a landing page. But from that landing page, they want me to meander around. You kind of want the opposite. If you've managed to catch my attention with that project manager job in Akron, Ohio, you don't want me looking... You want to keep me focused on that project manager job in Akron, Ohio. You might give me some other information that enriches my understanding of that job. But you don't want to lose me in looking at all the jobs on your website. Or they force me to find that job again. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Telling that person that, we, you know, the office in in Santa Monica has free lunches doesn't help. In fact, it actually hurts you because now you're like, wait, do you <laughs> offer free lunches in Akron? And chances are you yeah. don't. And now you're like, wait a second. And now you've added some negativity that was unnecessary. So beyond the website, what is another kind yeah. of digital channel? Before we get to programmatic, I'm saving that for the the the, the, <laughs> the dessert. What is another good kind of
2: channel we can talk about? So I think I think social is another good one mm. to think about how it's going to behave differently and what is reasonable to expect in terms of should someone follow you or not. And it's yeah. going to depend on social channels to social channels, some social channels. I mean, I always find a bit weird when people call LinkedIn a social channel, it's not a social channel, it's a professional channel. You know, I'm, I'm not going to LinkedIn to make friends. I'm going to LinkedIn because I'm doing something to do with my job. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I do have some friends on LinkedIn and but it it's not what it's there for. So like yeah. I think it, you you have to be very very sensible about what you are realistically expecting people to do on social And I might follow a consumer brand that creates products that I find really interesting, even if I'm never going to buy them, whereas I'm never going to do that with an employer. However much I might secretly want to work at McKinsey, I'm not going to follow McKinsey unless I actually think I could get a job there. Whereas, you know, I'm a keen jazz trumpeter. I follow all sorts of trumpet manufacturers who I'm never going to buy a trumpet for because their minimum entry price is like $5,000 and I cannot justify spending that much money on a trumpet. But I will follow them on social because they make beautiful trumpets and I will enjoy looking at them. And, and it's the same with car manufacturers, people follow car manufacturers that they have no intention of buying from and all the rest of it. Employment, it doesn't really work that way. And you've got to think about, right, how, what what job are you expecting this channel to do? And we talked about it a little bit with our deviation about TikTok, but yeah. with this, are we aiming? to talk to the people who already definitely want to work for us. Are we using this to try and get into the lines of people who who don't know us and, and thinking through what job you want that to do? And it's going to be so different from a consumer brand where I'll follow them if I might vaguely buy their product at some point in the future. People are much more wary of doing that with employers. And they're also wary of how their existing employer might react if they are following you. So you know, some people can get a bit funny about following competitors on LinkedIn because will it look disloyal if my current employer notices I'm following that competitor? Of course it won't, but they have that fear, particularly the younger audience, get very worried about someone's gonna check my social profile and see what I'm doing. No No one one has that that. kind of time. Yeah, no one one cares. You could get an AI to go and do that. You could do that very easily. That's fair. No one's done that yet, or very few people are doing that yet. But you've got to think about what is reasonable to expect from this audience and therefore how am I going to use that channel. It's probably going to be slightly different to how consumer agencies use it. Some things where you're more interesting and where you are because you are job relevant, right? If I am an accountant and you're an accountancy firm, anything you say about accountancy news is job relevant and I might be interested in it, even if I don't want to work for you yet. So content marketing can work really well, especially within an industry sector. And you should definitely think about what you're doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, but some consumer approaches let's get as many followers on TikTok as possible. Why? What, what are you going to do with them? Yeah, exactly. What, are you going to put each of your jobs on TikTok as a post? That's going to be fun. Like, there's nothing you could do with that, even if you succeeded in having loads of people following you on TikTok. TikTok, what are you, you're not, not going to be able to achieve much with it. I have no problems calling it TikTok, though. None. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I kind of yeah. like that. It kind of distills it. So
0: look, I cut my teeth in, in, in content marketing. Like that is my that is where my brain lives. It's been translated yeah. employer branding in a way, but it thinks in that regard. And I'm always thrown by the consumer marketing team who says to the employer brand recruiting team, whatever it is, no, you can't post on LinkedIn. That is for <laughs> consumer marketing. And you're like, wait a second, who is going to LinkedIn to buy stuff? Are you selling? consulting services, because that's, you know, you're not, what else? You're not buying trumpets, you're not buying headphones, you're not buying cars on LinkedIn, that's not what it works. And the problem there is that both sides of that argument have so narrowly defined the story they're trying to tell, they don't realize they're telling the same story. And in fact, if you take a, hey, this is, let's take that accountancy firm that you were referencing a minute ago. It's like, this is the trends in accounting. And by the way, when you're looking for an accountancy job, it doesn't mean you have to wear a suit to the interview. It doesn't. These are things that have changed, and here we're an example of how this has changed. That is useful yeah. information to a candidate, but it's also relevant to someone understanding the market who is trying to choose an accountancy firm. There's so many overlaps, but when you narrow okay. it down to, well, the recruiting team has to post, "We're hiring and join us," and we're you know open for business or whatever junk they're posting that no one cares about. Like literally, yeah. no one cares. And then you have the consumer market or the corporate marketing saying things like, are CFO just got an an award, don't know why anybody cares about that, and they're missing the gap in the middle where so much rich material
2: lives. Definitely, definitely. And you know, it should be a joint effort. I've I've worked with clients before where actually marketing have been quite grateful because they've been desperately, they were like, oh, we need to fill a content marketing plan and we literally don't know what to put in it because we haven't got any new products. Our business still does the same thing it did last year. And actually the employer brand content gives you something to say and if it's people saying how much they've enjoyed working on this brilliant project they did for a client actually that's quite good client marketing as well having someone seeming smart and happy about how well they're doing their job and how many right this this is good for clients and good for employment as well but I think that understanding that you're going to do something different with social to what consumer marketing might do with social and that journey is going to be a little bit different Mm -hmm. and the channels themselves are going to be different for different audiences and used in different ways i mean it's kind of common sense but you'd be amazed how many no, people it's don't not stop and do that and then just copy something and go Oh consumer used use tiktok for this so i'm going to use tiktok for that yep. like, mm, no. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Com-
0: yeah common sense is notoriously uncommon so um yeah yeah, yeah. so Definitely. let's get in let's get into the joy of programmatic
2: so yes so the the thing about programmatic advertising so the, apologies to anybody who already knows this inside out but The thing that you're going to do with an awful lot of this stuff is you're going to say to a a computer program, here is a starting point, run this and then start optimising to whatever is working the best. And that's brilliant if you're in consumer and you can can set the machine running and the machine will optimise and it will work out which ad executions get the most clicks and it will work out which placements get the most clicks and it will work out what time of day gets the most clicks and it will work out all of that and it gets the most clicks. Back to our earlier conversation, though, we don't know the difference between a good click and a bad click. So this is a huge problem for us. What it will do is it will optimise towards whoever was clicking the most. Now, this can end you end up in some really weird places. And I've had a client before who were recruiting for some specialist technical roles in the UK. And programmatic started to optimise towards people who couldn't apply to those jobs because they weren't even in the UK. They were in another country and they didn't have the right visa requirements to come in but they were the ones who wanted to work for them the most and that's an extreme example but even you know within a country you know the reality is some of you the people who want to work for you the most are not the same as the ones that you want to employ the programmatic will optimize towards the people who want to work for you the most now particularly if you're a very popular consumer brand That might not be the same as the people you want to hire. So if you're Nike, there are loads of people who'd love to work for Nike who are not the people who you want to employ. If you're Rolex, there are loads of people who want to work for Rolex who are not the ones that you want to employ. some of them will be. Some of them will overlap, and that's brilliant. And you're going to get that halo effect we talked about in a previous episode. Brilliant. Excellent. You've got a head start. But the problem is programmatic will optimize itself. Now you can deal with that, but it does mean at various points a human being is going to need to intervene and go, has this accidentally optimized towards men? Has this accidentally optimized towards, you know, people who were going to apply to us anyway? Yes, it has. And it will do over time and you need to keep resetting it and you need to keep interfering with it to prevent that. So you, you can still do it. You definitely can still do it. But you can't do it in the same easy way that a consumer team could just press the button and then let it run and read the reports.
0: Yeah, Uh, programmatic is is geared around this idea of someone who likes to buy sweaters is going to look like someone else who likes to buy sweaters. And... Okay, when do they buy sweaters? And I just don't think yep. any of that stuff really applies. I mean, to your point, if you're optimizing around, first off, the, 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 the real selling point to most companies is that the per-click basis for programmatic is usually significantly cheaper. All right? yes. if you're, and yes. if you don't know who you're trying to reach, well, reaching more of them sounds great. right? That's, that's an mm. inherent kind of selling point. It's a little flawed to my thinking, but it is a selling point. The other part of it is if it is optimized to the click and every programmatic process has different inputs and different algorithms by which they kind of manufacture all this stuff. And please don't let us get into that. Um, But let's say you are trying to target people who are more likely to click. Well, who's the most likely to click? Someone who already knows you, someone who's already been on your website, someone who you're already talking to the people who are already listening to you. Why did you spend money to do that? Then you could instead have built something radically different radically more interesting to a completely different audience and started to say hey we don't normally talk to you but
2: you need to yes. know about this thing yeah no exactly and so you know it, it can be brilliant for things where actually you do want to push people who have thought about you and vaguely and, and, and you know yeah it's just getting them yeah, over the line the case. actually doing that action It is brilliant at doing that. So, you know, we use programmatic for the British army and it's the people who were thinking of joining the army anyway. It's brilliant at going, hey, you look like someone who might join the army. Yeah, I am. Actually, I have already thought about it. Brilliant. Yeah, now I'll click apply. And it's brilliant at driving the people who were maybe going to do it anyway into definitely doing it. It's great for that. What Adver- as it, hold on,
0: advertising works best when it feels like it's in your brain already and if it yeah. turns out you already went to their website and it's talking to you guess yeah. what it feels like it's in your brain already and therefore it feels like better ads
2: exactly and you're you're then retargeting and all that kind yes. of stuff works really really well and brilliant and it's going to do that job really really well where it's not going to be helpful is when you're trying to reach out to the audience who is more difficult than that because it's not what it does it's not what it's designed to do you can find ways to make it do that, but it's going to require a bit more thought and a bit more intervention, a bit more expertise. And I think particularly an expertise that doesn't tend to exist in the consumer world, because why would I try and sell my consumer product to people who are less likely to buy? Why would I do that? That's in, that's, that's just not, that's in no one's business plan. Yeah. You know, it's everyone's business plan to go after the ones who most want to buy us. And then the ones next likely to buy us. And then the next likely to buy us, the ones who are the least likely to buy us. Well, why would I, pay any attention to them and you say oh no but actually we've got a target to get more young british asian women to join the british army they are the least likely to do so but we've got a target to do that so we've got to find a way to do it and you know we're actively targeting the people least likely to do this yeah and that's the thing that you don't need to think about in the world of consumer but we you know most of you will have some kind of objectives out there around can you please increase the diversity of our workforce okay well you you you're going to have to leave the consumer approaches behind to do that thing and think more differently about how do I actively go out and go to an audience who are the least likely to buy me the least likely to be interested in what I have to say it's going to take a very different approach yeah totally
0: so as we wrap up are there any kind of takeaways is there something are our, our mythical CMO, CHRO, CPO, head of recruiting should take yeah. away from this conversation that they can either ask a good question of their people, ask a good question of their vendors, or at least start to think about as they're doing their work.
2: So I think, you know, we, we there's always a useful question to ask yourself as you're about to do a thing, mm-hmm. which is to go, if this goes really well, what happens? And likewise, If this go, how could this go wrong and what would go wrong about it? But actually, the the asking yourself if this goes really well, what happens very often prevents you from doing something silly. Yeah. So, you know, if you're about to do a mass marketing campaign, if this goes really well, oh, we'll get a million applicants. Oh, what would we do if we got a million applicants? Maybe we shouldn't do that. And it's like what happens if we succeed is quite a good question to ask yourself, because sometimes it makes you realize actually your definition of success isn't very good. And it might prevent you from making some of those errors. But I think also to the non-marketeers, to the the HR talent acquisition people, don't underrate your own understanding of the complexities of employment law and recruitment and diversity and inclusion. Don't walk into that room feeling like you're the, you know, the, the, the person with a smaller budget. Yeah. Walk into that room going, I am the expert on what I need to achieve. They might be an expert in those techniques i'm the expert in the objectives and in the pitfalls and i've got some pitfalls they don't have and that makes my job more interesting i think but also more difficult at times
0: yeah i would add on to that look you are going to be approached by consumer marketing vendors uh thinking you have to ask the question of is this for me have they done The work to understand my challenges as a recruiter or recruiting leader to say it's it is about better, not more. How are they measuring better, not more? Very often, like like if I if I so much of the the vendors that we we hear from are offshoots of an existing successful consumer tool that they've kind of exactly. put a new facade or a new patina that says, oh, it's great for attracting candidates. It's not. I mean, it's great for attracting bodies, not hires. And that's a different thing. So you ask the question. And that, I think that's the thing you're, I think you're, you're, you're alluding to. You're, you're, you know, HR and recruiters are usually not the most technical people in the room. They not always feel like oh, yeah. they're particularly savvy in that space. Ask the dumb question. Ask the core question, that question that's that's in the back of your head going, is this going to make me look a little bit like a jerk? Am I, am I pushing? Them? Ask the question because that's going to separate a tool that helps you from a tool that actually just gives you more work that doesn't help you.
2: I, I think that's a brilliant question. I, I've used that before when suppliers approach us and, you know, someone will come to us and go, hey, I've got a massive data set of what everyone in America thinks. And I'll go, brilliant. Did you do it for consumer or did you do it for recruitment? And do you know what a recruitment advertising agency is? I'm at a recruitment place. Do you know what that is? Have you got data I can use? And and actually not being afraid to say that to suppliers and go, have you done this before for what I'm doing? Or are you trying to bring something across? And it might be that you can bring it across from the but it might be that there's a flaw in it. Because suddenly it always comes back to that. We care how good this audience is. So your survey data, do we know how good the people in it are? Have you got any way of filtering them for quality? Because if you haven't, there's a limit to how much I can use it. There you go.
0: And that is a fantastic place to end this. Marcus, thanks as always. It's been a great conversation.
2: Absolutely. Likewise. And we'll see you all next week.
1: Thanks for listening to The Brand Plan. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you'd spread the word.